Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 125 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're going to be listening in on a conversation I had with a member about how she teaches reading. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. It is so wonderful to be back with you again. Today's show is a little bit different because I'm going to be sharing an excerpt from a strategy session with you. So strategy sessions are calls that I do with members. I do about two of these a month and all members can apply for them. And they're short calls, about 30 minutes, where we dive into something that a member needs help with. So sometimes they're about makeup lessons, sometimes they're about finances, sometimes they're about teaching things or organizing your own time or anything else. I love doing these sessions because they're so varied and because I get to meet with teachers from all over the world and keep in touch with what teachers really need in their studios at all times. So this is an excerpt from a session that I did with Linda. And Linda asked me this question about her students reading and associating that with the notes on the piano. So what I want you to listen in for on this conversation is not my tips about reading. Although you're welcome to listen in on those and use those as well. It's not just about that though. It's about this process. What Linda and I are doing on this call is saying, okay, here's the result. What's the real issue? What does this say? What does that say? And trying to get to the root of what's causing the problem. So it's not about saying, oh, Linda's doing it wrong in this way. This is the process we all have to do all the time in our teaching. Say, my students play like this. I've noticed this trend in my students. And this is where I really commend Linda because she noticed this in her students, right? She stayed aware of what was happening across several of her students. And whenever you notice a trend like that, to say, what's making that happen? Maybe it's something your students are great at, or maybe it is an issue like this. And you need to ask yourself, what's leading to that? So that's what we do in this call. We're really digging deep to find the heart of the issue what I believe is the heart of the issue, which is to do with reading by intervals. But as you listen in, I want you to listen out for that process rather than just the result that we come to. Let's take a listen on my conversation with Linda. 
I've been teaching, this will be my third year back. I'm in my second career. I started teaching in my 20s and then went into education and taught for many years in the public school system, private school system, wound up as a guidance counselor in a middle school. Retired from that, and then after raising my family and everything, I am now teaching piano again. I played piano all throughout that time, studied in college with an Eastman graduate, and just had to swap over to education because of some hand injuries. So now I'm back into it. I have nine students, and uh, most of them are beginners or in their, you know, second or third year. So my studio is an enclosed garage that my husband finished out for me. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Thank you. I have uh, a Baby Grand and a Yamaha Upright and then a Yamaha P125 Digital. Wow. So it's fun. I, I've got, I have the, the capability of small groups, but just haven't gotten to that point yet. I do have one set of partners who overlap lessons for about 20 minutes and um, doing some really fun duets with them and composing, kind of having them collaborate with their compositions. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I am. I did have an, uh, was able to do an online recital this spring. So that was challenging. <laughs> for sure, but you did it, well done. Thank you. Thank you as well. So I just still always a learning process, but want to make sure that I'm in, in the best position for my students. It's all about them. Okay, super. So now that I know a bit more about you, tell me how can I help you most today? I am looking for ways to bridge the gap between identifying notes on the paper and on the keyboard in a more timely fashion. And of course, as you know, it all depends on the student, <laughs> but there are so many tools available now that uh, just the most expeditious route from reading lines and spaces to playing them on the keyboard. Hmm. Okay, so I, have a few <laughs> I need to clarify at what point this is becoming an issue, I guess. So are we imagining a student who can name the notes? on the page but can't necessarily find the correct spot on the keyboard or are we imagining a student that can name the notes on the page and can find them on the keyboard but is going slowly through the piece because it takes them a while to make that association do you understand the distinction yes. i'm making there yes i do and it's more the, the first because i i can get them to once they they make the connection between the written page and the keyboard, then I'm, I'm okay with that. And we can do things to help them, you know, more practice, more games, more, you know, just more of the same. I feel like the block that I'm having difficulty overcoming with, with more than one student is, okay, how do we go from beginner, okay, I don't want you to be reading every single note. I want you to be able to locate it on the keyboard quickly and at that point I can get them going. For example, let me give you an example. I have a student who is very, very good at reading by ear. She's seven years old. She's been taking for a year and a half 
And she much prefers to hear something before she attempts to read it. And of course, once she does, she's leaning more on her ear than she is anything else. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through several different steps to identify uh, line notes, space notes. We've played games, we've done intervals, we've done several different things to help her bridge. I've done colors, coloring the lines and spaces and correlating them to a certain section on the keyboard with colored tabs. And she just has difficulty going from the written page to the keyboard, circumventing her ear. Mm -hmm. So if there's another way that I can teach her how to go from the written page to the keys, that would be lovely. And all of my students struggle from that point. It's almost like when a child learns to read, you know, they're, they're identifying letters, they're sounding out individual letters, and then they eventually can figure out what the word is. And then at some point the light bulb comes on and they understand, oh, that's a word and I know what that word is. So just going from, you know, say an E on the staff to an E on the keyboard. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I think the problem might be slightly further back from the way you're describing it. So you mentioned intervals briefly there, but you've talked a lot of, from what I'm picking up about associating this line with this note. Like you've talked more in general about note names rather than intervals. Is that true for your teaching? Do you feel like you spend a bit more time on note names versus intervals? Probably so. Yeah. I would say... I went through the John Thompson series mm -hmm. uh, growing up, and that was very much, you know, just figuring out notes. And yeah. my teacher didn't really understand how to get across patterns, intervals, that kind of thing. Right. It was just, okay, here's the next piece. These are the notes. Your hands go here. Go for it. And so I'm trying to get out of that background so are you thinking that more intervals would be helpful? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's my first instinct. I'd say that's where the disconnect is happening. So you seem to be maybe throwing in intervals a little bit on top of note names, and I kind of want you to do the reverse. I absolutely understand where you're coming from. I learned from John Thompson okay. myself too, and I learned entirely through note names. and. Yes. I've come to believe that it's really inefficient. Like we got through it, but that's just, you know, we managed to get through it rather than it was the best way to learn. Right. So I would encourage you, I know you mentioned Piano Safari. So that's really the approach of the Piano Safari is interval based. So I'd encourage you to follow the way they do it, which is book one, and do this with students who even aren't in Piano Safari, but book one in Piano Safari, they're only really learning two notes that's it they only know treble g and bass c and everything else is intervals they're just working on stepping up stepping down skipping up skipping down same and the point of that is not just to hold back on the notes and it's not just to work on the intervals it's to actually make them think in intervals that's what i've come to believe so when you wait on the note names until book two or the equivalent basically a year into lessons almost for younger students. When you wait that long, they think in intervals as the default mode first. Nice. And then they 
resort to note names when they need them. And that really is the right way around. That's how most of us actually read is we're yeah. thinking, oh, it's this pattern that I already know. And then we get to a point where it's, you know, way off on a ledger line and we have to go, oh, what's that note? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we only do that when we have to. Right. Yeah. So if the problem is happening mid flow, uh-huh. you know, it's a different issue if it's the starting note of a piece. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about beginners and it's mid in the middle of the piece that they're not coming up with the correct finger isn't playing the right note straight away is because they're not thinking intervallically. Does that make sense, Linda? Perfect. Perfect sense. It does. All right. My challenge now is to emphasize the correct method with piano safari. And, and I love it and I'm doing that. So I need to be more sensitive in how I'm straying from that and putting more emphasis on note naming. I'm in a group here in the area that does have performances throughout the year. And I've only been in the group one year, but it's a well-established teacher group. And there's a lot of pressure (laughs) to involve students in all of the activities. And I'm realizing I don't need to do that because immediately that pulls, especially beginners away from methods and puts them immediately into a having to read and having to perform mode. So I think that's part of the issue too. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And it's not so much, you know, associations and that kind of thing here, but it's the exam system. And you may have heard me talk about that. It does a similar thing though. If you put students into those kinds of systems too early, you do end up having to serve that curriculum or that Mm. syllabus or that list or whatever it is and play to that. And where those things are really useful, the competitions or the festivals or the exams, is for motivating students who are further along, who are starting to wane a bit and things are starting to get tough. And actually, I've found most beginners, the first few years, they just love coming to lessons and learning stuff. And we don't need any of that extra. So I'm with you there. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, that's what I'm leaning to this year. So hopefully that will, um, that will be the case. And we're not probably going to have as much this year because of COVID. So they take care of itself. (laughs) Best games, BMT. There are so many awesome games. In fact, I was just going through mine today. I feel that in the background. Yep. (laughs) I, I love them. My kids love them and they're very helpful. So I've I've pulled several things and I've looked up several things, but top five or top two that you would recommend for beginners for intervallic learning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I will answer your question, but before I do that, I'm going to suggest also that you check out the Piano Safari roadmap, just in case you haven't seen that. Have you seen that resource? I've looked at the... um, well, basically, table of contents, the teacher guides, resources online, but I didn't realize there was a roadmap. There's a roadmap on VMT of our games as they relate directly to Piano Safari pages. Perfect. Perfect. I can do that then. Yeah. So in general, what I would be suggesting w- would be from unit three of there. If you haven't been doing a ton of intervallic games so far, it would be a case of going through there. But I would just slightly caution your caveat to say 
you need intervals, yes, you need identifying steps and skips, but you also need to make sure that your students know, can see the difference between a line and a space note. Sounds like that one's okay for your students. Mm-hmm. And that they can see the difference between up and down, which sounds so basic to us, but it's not. Because it, the music goes from left to right, so they have to get that if they're young and they haven't done a ton of reading. That's not baked into their brain yet, right? So they have to get left to right reading, which means it's going up when it goes that way. And they need to associate that with up and down on the piano, which is left and right again. So that's a bit of a tangled web. <laughs> it's not a lot. It's quite a lot. It is, isn't it? Uh-huh. It involves so much, so much thinking that we don't necessarily think about break it down to where you can touch on what they need. Yeah, exactly. Games are great for that, though, because they can help you see when a student isn't getting something, which of those aspects are they, which are all tangled up in music, which ones are they actually having trouble with. So as regards actual specific games, I would suggest the step ladder for the up and down thing. Right. (laughs) All right. And then I would suggest something like, let me see, Stepping Stones, perhaps, which is an alphabet steps and skips game, so that they can see it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And then probably Treacherous Treasure as the next one. Very good. So I'll restrict myself to those three. But if you open up the Piano Safari Roadmap, You'll have lots and lots of different options there and you can mix and match as you need to. It's all organized by when a new concept is introduced in which unit and then all the games for that particular concept. That's great. That is great. Just matching it all up is awesome. That'll be very helpful. Yeah. So you can get to that, by the way, by going to library and then roadmaps and then you'll find it there. Perfect. Thank you. That'll help a lot. I really hope you enjoyed listening in on that strategy session. I want you to think this week, your action step or your homework is to think about your priorities and what some symptom that's coming out in your students, so it's a trend you notice across several of them that you've been maybe worried about or thinking about how to solve and where the heart of that issue is, where the real root of that problem is happening. It may be an emphasis that you're placing on something without really realizing it. So I went to have a thing about that this week. Share your thoughts with us in the Facebook group or on the show notes for this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 125. Next week on the show, we're going to be going through five questions I believe we should all be asking ourselves at least once a year. I hope you'll join me back here then for that discussion. And until then, have a fabulous week ahead. If you're a member and you want to book your own strategy session, you can find a form to apply under the community part of the menu. If you're not a member and you want to organize a call with me, you want to get in on all the membership goodies, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up today.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.